Good morning, everyone. A very warm welcome to all of you to Franchise EXO Dialogue. This series involves learning from thought leaders at leading franchise organizations. Hope you all are keeping safe and healthy. My name is Ashita Madra, and I'm the CEO of Franchise India. I'm very excited today to welcome Prahash, Mr. Prahash Chandra, who's the COO of Shadow Pies. Uh, it's India's largest crowdsourced logistic platform. Uh, he's an alumni of IIT Delhi. He started his career as a consultant in AT Kearney. Uh, a global management consulting firm. Uh, but uh, when his friends Abhishek and Deborah uh, presented the idea of a startup, uh, you know, with a social impact in the narrative, he knew that, uh, you know, this is, this is something that he wanted to do. And um, Shadowfax was born then. And uh, Shadowfax has already, uh, you know, now a successful uh, company with a distinct solution in the form of an application that combines the power of crowdsourced delivery partners, bikes, and LCDs through a single platform for hyperlocal and e-commerce deliveries and end-to-end -end logistic solutions. This app also doubled up as a learning platform uh, for partners to upskill and train every delivery partner to make delivery a pleasant experience for customers. Today, Shadowfax has a base of 100,000 crowdsourced partners across 600 Indian cities. Um, and uh, doing over one crore order worth a month and enjoys the trust of over 5,000 clients. It has a robust uh, 1,000 plus franchisee network and it connects about 500,000 shipments from sellers to customers each day. Uh, as a five-year-old, uh, Shadowfax is one of the fastest growing companies in the logistics domain in India. Uh, we also have with us Mr. Gaurav Maria. He's the chairman of Franchise India and is highly regarded for his contribution in popularizing franchising in India. So, um, you know, I would, I would like to start this uh, with uh, Prahash, that, uh, you know, Prahash Shadowfax is by far, uh, you know, one of the greatest uh, so-called franchise business you know, in recent times. And uh, being one of the founder members of the team, you know, if you can just take us through some highlights, you know, of the last five years of your journey as to you know, how, how it has been and, you know, from where, where you've come in. Yeah, sure, Ashita. Um, uh, first of all, thanks a lot for having me here. Always uh, good to have few interactions, uh, especially given the times we're in, right? I mean, it's not very easy to uh, meet people um, and have such forums, uh, especially now. So, so thanks a lot for, uh, for helping organize this session. Uh, and thanks to, thanks to you, Gaurav, as well, right? Um, so yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll just uh, give a quick idea about Shadowfax because unlike a lot of other companies, we, we are a B2B platform, so a lot of people might not know about us. Um, and, and then I'll of course be more than happy to discuss a bit on our journey uh, since, since we had this idea, right? Um, so Shadowfax is basically a, a crowdsourced B2B express logistics platform, right? We basically have two forms of services. I'll very simply put it down. One is a point-to-point -point logistics network, which for businesses is essentially Uber for logistics, right? If you are a company who needs a person to move a product from one place to the other, you ping our servers, we find the nearest delivery boy for you, he'll go conduct the pickup and drop the shipment, right? So, so that's it's one side of the business. And then any kind of uh, vehicle that you need in the, in the ecosystem, right? Be it a delivery boy or a, uh, on a bike, or you want a light commercial vehicle, et cetera, that's all, that all kind of forms part of the first piece, right? The other is a hub and spoke logistics network. Um, that's your traditional logistics channel. Someone like a DTDC, Blue Dart, Delivery would be our competitors there. And just to give an idea about how 
that supply chain looks like. And there, of course, we work on both the B2C side, wherein we deliver to the customers. And then you've got the B2B division, wherein you deliver to retailers, distributors, warehouses, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's who we are as a company. And thanks a lot for the numbers. I think you've already given some hint of the kind of numbers we've been able to scale up to. Um, so that's where we are. But, but our origins were slightly different, right? I think in 2015, um, when this whole thought came in, it, it was a time when a lot of people were thinking about redesigning supply chains, right? Um, people wanted to become closer to the customer. Two-hour, one-hour delivery was something which is starting to come off. And what we felt was that, you know, um, if people are actually going to do this, how are they going to build this whole framework to deliver products at a cost which is effective enough? You know, it's very easy to say that I'll get products closer to the customer and, and I'll deliver it in an hour or two hours. But how do you actually build the infra which is sustainable in the long run? So, so one of the things, so that's, that was the origin of the idea itself and hence we entered into this whole hyper-local local logistics piece and that's, that's our initial base business that we had. I think we had our pilots in, in Delhi. Uh, we were a very young team at that point in time. Um, we were very lucky uh, to get an get a initial round, which was a Series A, uh, not too, uh, too, after, too, too after our first pre-seed round, right? So within six to seven months, we were able to raise some capital because of some good work on the tech side, et cetera, that we've done. We've done. Um, and that helped us start kickstart our expansion, really, right? So we went to uh, Gurgaon, and then there was a hunt for which should be our uh, base city, right? We jumped from Gurgaon to Mumbai to finally Bangalore. Uh, we realized it's easier to hire tech talent here. Um, so we started off, like I said, with the hyper-local uh, piece. And then at that point in time, there were tons of companies, right? at least 10 to 12 competitors in the B2B space itself were working. And three of us were decently capitalized as fate would have it. We ended up acquiring one of them. Um, and what that added was also a capability uh, into the mix because that company, apart from hyper-local, was also working on hub and spark logistics. So this whole business of hub and spoke side is not something we built on our own or we had this, this great thought that, no, we should do it. It's something that happened. And, and, and the point here is, you know, sometimes there are some things which you plan, sometimes some things that just happen because of, because of luck, I guess. Uh, but yes, what we did well post that was build that into something which is very uh, beneficial for both of our ecosystems, both the point-to-point -point network and the hub and spoke network. And since then, I think, uh, the, so the hub and spoke piece was introduced in 2016. And since then, it's been a um, it's been an amazing journey. I guess we've had our ups and downs. 2017 was a very tough time for everybody in the ecosystem. Like I said, we started with 10 competitors. By 2017, we were left with one. And in 2018, that one remaining competitor in hyperlocal space got acquired by Zomato. So, so we we had to find our way quite a lot here, right? Uh, we had to stick around uh, and kind of be diligent in finding the right model to get things working. Um, and I guess 2018 was the year wherein this start, everything started to click, right? Um, our business numbers started making a lot of sense. The business started growing immensely. And since then, uh, touch wood, it's all, been, <laughs> it's all been going well. Of course, the COVID came in and, and you had to innovate at that point in time, identify newer models to do it. But in more ways than once, and I think we're a little lucky here, um, logistics is something that is needed even more now than ever before because a lot of traditional companies they had alternative ways of designing their supply chains and now they're trying to do it a little bit differently and and then we stand at you know one of those situations wherein there is a lot of um, newer models we can introduce into the market which people are also now more interested to try out so so, so i guess looking forward i think things should hopefully be even more exciting yeah that, yeah so Bharsh, it, I, I'll pick up from the first point you said yeah. in the, the, the evolution which we've seen and we've worked with 
uh, conventional logistics suppliers to now new age uh, tech based businesses which are yours and 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 you rightly said your businesses also split into two parts uh, one is a little bit on a uh, you know right. demand centric and second is b2b solutions uh, which do it in that so what are the two or three four uh, big innovations you see in this space and is the market still large enough to capture oh totally um, i think uh, fundamentally speaking you know traditionally if you look at any supply chain it's been built across a hub and spoke model right and the way that happens usually is that you have a larger warehouse and from there you distribute products across various places in the country be it a retailer or a customer right uh, that inherently means that there is a, a, an associated time of delivery which is in days right so there is a huge potential to introduce an alternative form just from a offering perspective and you're saying that no fundamentally we can design a supply chain which is cost efficient wherein you can go directly to the consumers and you can offer a slotted delivery same day um, or a instantaneous one hour delivery right so those kind of models have a huge potential because they're not not even been done uh, before this i think uh, swiggy zomato did it in the food side of things by opening a lot of dark kitchens before that it was all decentralized and that has given people ideas that if you can have dark kitchens you can have dark stores you can have stores wherein you can hold a lot of inventory and redesign the way you look at retail network right instead of having physical brick and mortars you can have dark brick and mortars which hold the key sku's which people in the neighborhood want to purchase and then you can deliver that so so that's one side uh, of i think of one of the things that you know that it's going to be key the other is that a lot of traditional uh, supply chains have been built on finding a distributor network which can take products to the retailers that's also changing i think there is this whole piece of and the buzzword these days especially after covid of d2c logistics or d2c business lines right wherein people want to go directly to the customers and it's a strategy i think all of the companies really need to think about and it's something which the larger ones are already uh, thinking about and it's one of the reasons which people are approaching us uh, more than we used to approach them earlier you know because it's it's another new model which is coming in and anyone who wants to make some play here there is a lot of opportunity again because d2c i think takes up less than 5% of total sales which any company would usually have unless and until they are a d2c based company usual sales are distributed more towards the tra- traditional supply chains and given the covid scenario when people are venturing out a little less um, there are d2c strategies become even more key right so i believe that in logistics there is a lot of space and lot of opportunity for everyone just the growth of this whole segment is huge so even if the idea is not to dissimilar you can make your footing in some way here plus if you have something good and useful to work upon i think there is some even there are some even more opportunities to work on just to give you an, another example i think i spoke to a um, a very simple volumetric weight measuring company very recently there is a startup which came up during these times and volumetric weight is one of the biggest issues in supply chain right because all of our billing happens on that and there's a huge dispute which which happens that you know what was the way to send and what what the client thinks that you send what the customer thinks you sent and and your billing kind of depends on it so you need uh, good systems to measure all of that and those guys are building some interesting camera based solutions right when your 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 cameras which are actually used for security footage monitoring can also be used for measuring the products which were kept at a particular point at a point in time right so i think if you start thinking about the supply chain as such beyond logistics the just the core features which logistics need has enough space in it for people to think about an idea upon yeah absolutely and i think this would cause a lot of innovation this would come other way around you know earlier i think the product companies were doing but now with the solutions like your company is bringing in a lot of these companies would able to evolve their businesses and almost yeah. every we are talking in the retail space today 
is talking about direct to consumer direct to home kind of a businesses and you're right the next big change also in the retail side is coming in where these are large dark stores i mean i'm talking to a company which wants to put up a 5000 uh, warehouses uh, across the country must be yeah so and these would be direct to home uh, supplies so they would actually try to replace a lot of these uh, uh, expensive uh, retail points uh, which would would be changed to a more a uh, dark uh, facilities and this would probably get into almost everything everything from medicine from right. uh, you know anything which you are consuming today would start doing that so it's a, it's a big disruption coming in the good days for for your company to continue to evolve a lot of a uh, solution which would which would actually pivot these organizations to also think through and fresh any challenges you think in the industry which which you feel are still uh, not something which is which has been addressed and any uh, global example you would like to take upon that has a better uh, capabilities on that side and also another question to link with this is because eventually it's a very people business you know and yep. every time there would be somebody who would come and disrupt the pricing and say look i can do cheaper than this and i can do much efficient than that and do yep. so is the price uh, would be a challenge to sustainability of the business model yeah i think uh, the Uh, you you mentioned it aptly right so so the price and the whole design and modeling of it is something which needs to be discovered i don't think need to see and these dark store models are already set in stone right that this is how you build it this is how the economics look like this is how you price it a lot of thing is in discovery mode um so that of course is a challenge which people would need to work upon uh, the other is uh, in this revised dynamics right you need to ensure and, and especially when you cannot have sufficient amount of interaction with your ground teams how do you ensure that even if you're running an infrastructure uh, it is running in the way you intended it to uh, how do you ensure that it is scalable because even if you can set up one dark store it's not very easy to scale it to you know uh, a 1000 plus pin codes in the country in in, in india in fact you've got um, almost 18000 pin codes so actually, how do you truly give this service to every last individual who is there in the country so i think scalability and the model fundamentals are something which are the biggest two um, that i would say right now as we go along of course i think technology piece would be key here you will we need to be building good solution which can take decisions on their own so that it becomes easier to to run the show uh, on the whole um, but since you've talked spoken a bit about the challenges you know if if you look at the first part of it which is on the model side i think and i truly believe uh, that it's one of those things which can be modeled again and why i say this is because we've seen the same journey in hyperlocal there were a lot of questions you know that hyperlocal business is highly cost ineffective it cannot really work out um it's very difficult to make money in that but over a period of time i can say that we've been able to do that right uh, at least in that side of it so that gives tremendous confidence that these models even though uh, on paper look difficult right now uh, would work out in the longer term in the next 2 to 3 years time frame um, and there would be a very nice little model which works from a costing perspective pretty evenly or even lower cost compared to the traditional supply chains so so yeah so those two are the models and and at least my view on how how few of those would be tackled as go along Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's uh, that's great. Uh, so you know, uh, Prahash, when the companies are growing, uh, you know, when you're when you're working constantly towards you know making your services better, how are you keeping up? Uh, you know, or how have you instilled uh, you know so-called the culture? Uh, you know, in your organization, because you know most of the stuff like uh, consumer service or you know building a building a great long term brand uh, something that you're working on now uh, because you need a lot of people how do you empower your employees and 
you know customers uh, particularly you know all of these four things happen on its own because the company culture is a concept which is you know somewhere easier to uh, easier to experience uh, you know than to let out every time so how do you manage that in your organization got it. awesome so uh, i guess uh, uh, just to cover a little bit on that right one of the first things is that you need to be thinking about culture to actually uh, actually inculcate into the organization because one of the things that happen is that people don't think about it enough um immediately post covid uh, one of the most interesting things was that apart from reorganizing our supply chain uh, what the team was working on was redefining its cultural uh, aspects you know uh, because we felt that it's it's going to be key especially now in the revised dynamic when you're not actually with folks how do you imbibe uh, some key fundamentals that you have in the business when you're not even there with the folks um so we kind of relisted the four fundamental beliefs that we had as a company right and they 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 basically customer centricity innovation empathy and integrity right and uh, and and we work with our hr teams to kind of reevaluate the strategies in which we have to be um, incorporating this into our organization um, as we go so it's one of those things that is reason we've been able to do it to some extent is because someone is actively thinking on the problem statement and i guess that's where it needs to start with uh, the next step is that uh, it's very important for you to know who you are as an individual right you cannot be copying culture from some of the great organizations right you'll not become the most innovative company by looking at apple starter and seeing that innovation is the thing to do right um, i think it's it's very core and fundamental to the key leadership that you have uh, their behavioral instincts the beliefs that they have and and you know the key success factors that that have taken them to wherever the company is right now you have to be honest enough in listing those five six things um figuring out two three further things that you feel you need to be adding as a skill set and then identifying these four five things that the things we believe in and this is how we would want to be distributing it into the organization because that that's when truly it becomes a little bit easier for you to uh, to to dissipate intuition as well because given something it's of course always easier to spread it around within the team and the next is um, i think and it's something which which our hr taught me to be very honest and it's on uh, recruitment um i think 90% of your uh, culture is to do with recruitment right you can have uh, all sorts of cultural framework that you want but if there is someone who fundamentally believes otherwise um and it it's fair as well right people have different ways of running things but if there is someone who fundamentally believes otherwise um it's very difficult to align the whole group into doing similar things so you need to have a very good uh, recruitment um policy in place which allows you to identify people who kind of imbibe the things that you want in the company more so than others right and that goes across all levels be it leadership be it franchise partners you're working with be it um delivery boy partners you're working with even though in delivery boy side you have to be a bit more open because <laughs> because hiring takes precedence over anything else but you have to be uh, in the lookout for that as you go along so i guess those two three things would be the ones that i would say are important so far as cultural aspects are concerned yeah i think so and and you rightly touch upon i think that and when you are wide enough and growing and scaling you know because on one side your investors want business to multiply 5x every year and and this would happen not only by just organic growth it will also call for a lot of acquisitions uh, acquisition would mean that you are inviting a new companies which have a very different culture and uh, now coming in and there some cultures are forced upon you how do you continue to really uh get on to that journey is very important so you you also done one acquisition already and uh, uh part of it so uh, anything you want to talk about for companies who are scaling and then they do an organic and then they organize 
uh, acquire these companies how the cultural fitment yeah. because now you are you are you're given a unseen uh, you know uh, platform and and you need to really live with that so what what is your experience on that now you hit the nail bang on the head right um acquisitions are the most uh, difficult thing to do when uh, when you're trying to maintain a culture we've done not one we've actually done uh, two acquisitions and we've had a um sort of a acqui hiring thing if you can call it <laughs> as well um, i think culture came out as one of those things which which becomes key and it's something that we've kept uh, kept as one of the core fundamentals which we look at beyond everything else right it might be a tremendous business fit uh, but the most important thing you need to look at is whether the founding team that is coming in whether the team members that are coming in are aligned to the overall objectives and who you are as a team as well right so it's it's a check that we always do these days we actually passed a few opportunities wherein we felt that this might be a risk um and you know it might be difficult to uh, to merge the two org structures it's very important even in the mna scenario to always uh, always check if if the two companies actually gel with each other or not um and the other of course uh, once it's done you need to take active steps to ensure um that things are aligned as well because uh, the two organizations on paper being culturally aligned is just step one you need to act effort uh, to ensure things go uh, well as well and in the first acquisition that we did uh, there were a bit of challenges but i guess once you took sufficient step one um kind of redesign some of the structures people are coming into more often than not you can make uh, those aspects work as well um so it needs a lot of active effort um the team that's coming in needs to be feeling part of the larger organization there needs to be a lot of communication um i can't stress that enough um and and i guess if those three four things are in check post acquisition or post merger um you'll find yourself in a better situation uh, than otherwise but trust me uh, none of the acquisitions are ever easy <laughs> i guess there's so many people coming in that it always becomes a bit of a uh, some challenge or the other always keeps on coming uh, whatever you do correct correct we can uh, we do a lot of work in the mid market and many business and we say uh, more than the strategic call or a financial call is becoming more in cultural call now uh, if you are not able to do that yeah. even if you have financial fitment or you have strategic fitment uh you still cannot uh, handle the business because the business can go wild and and not come in control uh even sometimes the founder being part of still part of the acquisition cycle which means that you you make the founder also inherit part of the business uh it becomes even more difficult then because he will continue to run the business he wants to run the way it needs to be done so the larger piece never comes in and sometimes it can be a very very deterrent to uh, the parent function also now let's go into your franchising side of it because another thing which is very important because you have a large franchise network you know the thousand network which i yeah. i i mean i was uh, telling ashita that uh, we worked with conventional companies like dtdc and likes of them what took them for like 20 years uh, you did it in couple of years right so it's a it's a it's it's unseen this is what i love about scale up companies like yours the thinking and the speed of acquisition and going into the market is, is uh, you know uh sometimes unrealistic sometimes uh, you know uh, driven from no baggage because if i go to a conventional company and say i want to do a 1000 franchise in in couple of years uh, they would not even believe it they don't want to even jump on the idea for them i think the the whole cycle is a very uh, uh, conventional old school and this is what we explain people and say what is a growth between uh, what is scale and growth different why scale and growth growth is very clearly the conventional old school you know where 
you would deploy equal number of resources to get that results right but scaling is all about uh, where you can not scale much faster but not deploy the similar proportionately resources on that so what is your journey on franchising how that happened very very fast and what is the what is the obligations the franchisee has to do uh, what is the role of franchising and where it is going now and how how you are further expanding on that sure gaurav so franchisee is an interesting one i think uh, in some ways our whole business is a franchisee out business because what we do is we create a technology platform people come on it conduct logistics and then make an earning or a living right um but 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 then i'm including a lot of our regular partners as well our true uh, franchisee model actually uh, started when we wanted to expand on our hub and spoke logistics business right we were present in around a 50 70 odd uh, city spread and what we realized was that growing within the same cities plus expanding into you know uh, the next set of thousand cities is not going to be something which we can do on our own we felt that it is very important to have partners strategic partners small big all sizes right uh, who could work with us in that journey um and you know if we do want to right now we're in 4000 pin codes if we do want to hit around 19000 pin codes of the country are looking at almost at least 4000 to 5000 cities getting added into the network apart from what we already have right so so this whole expansion is something which which we felt at that point in time that we couldn't do on our own and hence we started off with the, with the thought to franchise out our last mile logistics space in all all of these cities where and what really happens is that you have a facility and uh, there we would drop the shipments on the franchisee's behalf the franchisee needs to conduct logistics within the ecosystem and framework right so um th- these would be shipments from your uh, usual suspects right a flipkart or an uh, or a mintra etc etc um and there are certain set of guidelines you need to be maintaining uh, the portals etc the technology platform etc are something that we provide these companies um and there are certain slas etc that they need to be adhering to against that so this is what we started off with this is our most uh, successful uh, part of franchisee network wherein the n- numbers that you mentioned right you have around a total of 1000 partners we're trying to scale it up even more um what we've also done is we're actively been looking for ways to increase the earnings which a partner has so what we added on top of this was also include a point to point network so we we said that if you're already there in that city why not also hire some partners for us who can work in our point to point network as well uh, so we've kind of added that over the top of hub and spoke logistics so that uh, a the franchisee partner gets a little bit more earning and b um that side of expansion also becomes a little bit more easy to for us to do right um so th- so those two are the core franchisee models we have in the network and again like i said are the most scaled up right now apart from this our whole business has an array of opportunities um and we're looking to outsource a lot of those as we would be going along um one is uh, in our distribution network so we've got uh, so like i mentioned you've got almost 6000 cities you need to connect which means there are, are are a lot of partners we need to be working with to deliver products from one place on the other side there are an array of opportunities that our business currently has that we are actively reaching out uh, one is on our uh, vehicle ecosystem so we have to be having a lot of um, a huge line haul network to move products from our source cities to various cities right we're talking about um, 5000 to 6000 cities in our network which need to be connected so there's an opportunity there where people can help us do this distribution in various cities right um so that's one side of the business 
Um, the other, and that's also an interesting one, uh, we've got a, around 50,000 delivery by partners in the network. And that means we have to add almost 5,000 to 10,000 partners every month into the ecosystem. Um, so onboarding of these guys, training of these guys is a huge um, sub-business of ours per se, right? And that's one of the latest things which we are actively working in franchising out. Uh, what happens therein is that our partner is responsible for identifying people who can work on the Shadowfax network, um, training and onboarding that particular individual, conducting the KYC activities that are necessary for any partner who's there on the network. And then, um, um, and then of course, ensuring that that partner ends up doing a few orders in the ecosystem, right? So it's a very straightforward process, but anyone in any place of the country can become a partner with us if they can help us source uh, people who can join our network, right? And that's another stream that has been recently launched. So these three would sort of be the core. Um, leading on from the ideas on dark stores, et cetera, that we discussed, right? Um, there are a lot of facilities we will be opening in our core cities as well. Um, so a bit of facility franchising out is also something that will come up in the near term uh, as we build our business. So that's where the whole franchisee piece is right now. And that's where we see it. Uh, and those are a few of the newer models we see getting added into the ecosystem as we go along uh, into the business. Which is very interesting. I think from micro franchising to fleet partners to, to warehousing, so to say, partners. So almost every aspect of your business, which is, which is out there. Uh, you know, you would, you would invite franchisees. This can be a very... Yeah, so the interesting thing is we are happy with any size of partner who's there in the ecosystem, right? There's not really a size barrier that you need to be having this much amount of money in the bank to be working as a partner with us. Um, you might be a small-scale company in a particular city of the country. You would be happy to associate. You might have an, an array of 8 to 10 to 14 cities. You might be a state-wise player. Um, we are open to have partnerships with most kind of um, uh, companies, so long as some of the other things are in check, right, uh, from a capability standpoint. But yes, that lends itself to the fact that there is a lot of opportunities for people to come and partner with us on the network. And that's one of the core objectives we have as a company as well, that we're essentially a partner-driven company, be it the delivery boys, a partner, a franchisee partners. It's, it's all working with people to make our ecosystem work out, right? So, so we'll be happy as an organization to take in more types of entities as we go along. Absolutely. And absolutely. And, and today, I mean, I just can share with you in last five months, the number one category, which has applied on us, we get about 2 million people coming to franchise India from a, from people who are looking to buy a business and things. The number one category has been logistics. Uh, so, so it's, I don't know where it came from, but, but it's just uh, uh, to me, uh, maybe people thought that this business is much more, in demand and and they saw the category so we we're getting almost every single day hundreds of leads people who are coming on to that thing so we obviously would would reach out to you and and they can see an opportunity to partner with your company Ashwa, your questions yeah that's that's very interesting uh, you know how do you work with your partners and what is it that you look forward to do with them in terms of expansions as well so uh, you know when you when you manage a relationship you know so i would like to ask you something on the management of uh, the franchisees so how do you manage the franchise relationship with them because you know as you have three uh, you know kind of franchisees first and then the numbers of them in different cities obviously they would be from different backgrounds different cultures how do you manage a similar thing as a company maintained with all your franchise partners they would have their different you know a point of view, point of thinking. How do you manage that in a streamlined manner with them? 
So, uh, interesting question, Ashita. So, I think one of the first things that should happen in any relationship is that the the financial construct should be aligned, right? Uh, what we've always believed in is that whether it's a delivery partner or it's a franchisee partner, they should be making money out of the engagement. Um, if you're trying to squeeze people out, then sometimes the ecosystem just doesn't work out, right? Um, so that's the yeah. most important thing we look at. And this is just, and I'll be speaking on a few of the aspects before you enter into a franchisee model that we've been working on and few of the aspects that you need to be ensuring once you start running a franchisee ecosystem, right? So, so the financial modeling of this is, is super crucial. Uh, the other important point is on fit. Um, both the franchiser and the franchisee should see the opposing party to be a good fit to their beliefs, right? Um, you need to pass through this check. It's like, like it's with employees, it's, it's the same case here. And I don't speak it only from a franchisor standpoint. I also talk about it from a franchisee standpoint, right? If there is any wine franchisee, they should also look at businesses and ideas and, and folks that they feel that they'll be most comfortable in working on a regular basis, because it's one of the things I've observed in all of the successful franchisee relationships that have happened till date, right? There was an existing comfort level as well in a lot of those uh, entities with the company they were getting into it, right? So those two are the most important things that are needed to be done before you can think about conducting something franchisee. And then once you're running the show, um, and I'm sure a lot of folks would have spoken around it, um, engagement is probably the biggest uh, piece, right? Uh, you need to be communicating, you need to be chatting, there needs to be a strong feedback process. Um, only then uh, can you be continuously evolving the relationship and helping each other uh, as part of an ecosystem and as part of a partnership, right? And with this, with that comes the next most important thing, and that's transparency. Um, I think from from a company like us standpoint, we should be very clear uh, in what is on offer, what would be the challenges in the first few months, um, and what would be the numbers looking like. And from a uh, from any YM small business perspective, you know, um, folks should be um, very clear in what they can and they, more importantly, cannot do. Sometimes when folks end up over-promising and things don't work out, you know, the relationships start becoming a little bit sad. And more often than not, you'll find that the person that you're working with or the company that you're working with are very happy to know that there's something that you can't do. Because if there is something that you can't do, it becomes very easy for you to solve it. But when there is, an, when there is a viewpoint that, you know, no, this will, this will work out, we'll find a way to do this, no, we can scale up to three times. And then when that doesn't happen, it becomes a bit difficult to manage uh, expectations, so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah, so I think uh, communication um, and transparency would be the key things that has worked for us, at least in the franchises that we've, we've worked with. Um, and of course, two of the points that I mentioned before, even getting into the engagement. Um, so on the, interestingly, on the first part, which is on uh, ensuring that people get sufficient earning out of it, it's one of the biggest problem statements that we have. Um, even though we work on the problem statement of how we can make more money, the other things we also work on is how can our partners make more money and how can our franchisees make more money. Um, if they make more money in the in the longer term, there will be more people who will be interested in working with us. Uh, yeah, it's a fair point. And one of the things that has helped us and that we do quite uh, rigorously is try to get as many processes down on our te core technology platform as possible. Right. Um, what technology does is, is it kind of brings a consistency in whatever you're doing across various geographies. Right. Um, and just to give an example, um, there is this whole process of um, calling the customer from a mask number, right? Uh, usually what you want to drive as a company is that in logistics is that the, cus the, the customers not, should not be called too much. Uh, you should try to do what is known as a silent delivery. 
Now, a you can imbibe this as a as a culture with all of those franchisees by having very strong operations processes, regular trainings around it, or what you can also look and try to do is um, have technology product which is so strong which allows you to make this. Um, a very easy process to manage from a franchisee perspective as well, right? So right now, what happens is every partner automatically conducts a masked call because it goes through our central server. Um, the number of calls that you can make to a customer is kind of also also limited. Um, so there are an array of things which we use, uh, which we kind of conduct using our core technology, which allows a bit of scalability issues or innovation, etc., to happen a little bit more seamlessly in the organization. And it's something which um, you need to be, as a franchiser also, you need to ensure that you're very nimble in doing, right? Um, and it takes a bit of an effort. You can create a technology, but the other core aspect then becomes on training people on those processes, right? And hence the point on engagement and communication comes in here. You've created something, it's very important for your franchisees to buy into the newer way of doing thing, right? And that happens if you can paint a if you can conduct a good communication program, which create, paints a proper picture as to why this is important, why is this business also to be bigger than what it was right now? And why is it better for the core customers that we both are serving at the end of the day, right? Because all of these solutions that we build are ultimately to service an end customer. So, so that second piece becomes even more crucial. And, and in fact, one of the core investments we've made as a company is on our franchisee tech. Uh, they were working on us specialized portal only to have conversations, uh, issue escalation discussions with a lot of partners that we work with. Um, and already, I guess our rider app, which is also a form of a medium wherein we basically conduct communication is one of the most invested upon technology pieces we have as a company. Um, so yeah, I guess those two things would be core to what has helped us at least to manage a lot of these changes that we do quickly. Um, but yes, it's a constant process and a constant endeavor of finding even better ways to do this. Absolutely. So any, any new markets you want to do? I mean, India is the game or it's becoming now international for you and you're looking for a... <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think uh, I'll, 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 we've never had a thought of it going uh, international. It's not that we can't do so, but we just feel that there is so much to solve within the country that we don't want to spend our efforts to solve anything for anyone else. Right? right. We're like I said, we're only present in 4,000 pin codes of the country. We're missing out on almost uh, 16,000 pin codes. That means 16,000 places wherein we don't offer our services. So that's one of our core objectives as a company. A, we want to be present in the complete geographical expanse of wherever India is, right? Uh, so that's part one. Uh, the other, and we've always maintained uh, a strategy to have a very strong vertical expansion. So logistics, like I said, we started off with hyperlocal. Uh, we introduced Hub and Spock logistics. We went a little further behind and introduced uh, um, B2B logistics. And then right now we're also doing a bit of warehousing, right? So, so we've done a lot of vertical expansion in the business line, and that is something which is going to happen. Uh, anything and everything pertaining to logistics is something where you might and we most likely will see us as a company. Uh, the other thing, and that's an interesting piece, uh, and that's on a little bit of horizontal service offerings, right? So as a company right now, we only offer logistics, but it's our vision statement is actually pretty interesting. We actually speak about enabling commerce for everyone everywhere. Uh, the interesting thing there is that it doesn't mention logistics, that we're going to become the largest logistics players in the world or, or so on and so forth, right? 
uh, what we have always wanted to do is that essentially we are a technology based app based platform right most of the people interact with us through that and currently what they do is a task which involves logistics right moving products from one point to the other what we want to be doing uh, as well moving forward is add a lot of um, other type of tasks and activities onto the same platform uh, now to give you an example it can be something as simple as an address verification right so uh, kyc is very important these days we've got almost 50000 partners across the country uh, and these activities usually pay a little bit more than our regular business logistics uh, pay as well that we usually get with our clients right so this becomes one of the tasks that we want to add onto the network the other is um, background verification kycs you've got um, insurance checks where you need people to go on ground check vehicles take their pictures and come back you've got uh, store audits that a lot of large companies want to do um, even a, a company like oyo right they need uh, their properties to be audited and given we have so many people across there are an array of horizontal services that you can technically add into the network now why are we taking this up right now or thinking about it at least right now is also because of the one of the earlier points i mentioned right which is on increasing our partner earning potential if we can technically add more avenues of 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 higher revenues um that will lead to more people sticking around on the platform a little bit more right and anyways this is this is something which is core to our overall business vision um and this is something which we will introduce as a business as we go along absolutely great great thought and i think you know businesses uh, uh with with the kind of leverage you have created and the kind of structure you've created you can bring in a new a lot of new last mile uh, services and i think what we have really seen is uh, direct to consumer uh, product delivery i think we now would start seeing direct to home or uh, direct to consumer service deliveries and a lot of other uh, other services which could start coming in uh, so ashita over to you for the last comment we are coming on the end of the yes yes so uh, you know uh, after talking to you prahash i've realized that you pretty much involved in your work for like 16 to 18 hours a day what do you do for the half an hour that is we left every day <laughs> <laughs> no i i, I actually uh, it would appear so but i i spend uh, around 10 to 11 hours i think it's important to wind down Uh, and do something else because it just gives you some thought to figure out some of the larger problems that you might be missing right uh, i have always felt that it's important to come out of the box to see what the box is uh, so, <laughs> so i do that quite a lot and very often so i think uh, uh, there are an array of stuff that at least i personally like doing it i'm a big fan of uh, indoor games and board games especially during mm-hmm. lockdown i think we found innovative ways and online ways of playing a lot of the traditional games that are there out there in the market and i find anyone and any, any anyone and whoever is interested in playing a rano game i'm usually more than happy to indulge uh, in that so that's one side of it the other thing that i usually uh, like really like doing is music um i think uh, if there's nothing else there's music so <laughs> i do a bit of uh, guitar playing and all as well so it's it's just ways in which you you spend a little bit more of your time um but yes uh, so that's one side of it and then lastly and very important i follow a lot of football news i'm a huge uh, football buff um i i follow some of my favorite teams uh, very rigorously uh, pretty passionate about it as well we have a lot of arguments in our office actually happen on <laughs> on things not related to business so so yeah these are the three four things i spend my time on right now uh, interestingly um i'm uh, uh, like i mentioned i'm uh, uh, 
uh, not in town and hence so many issues in my connectivity as well. Uh, since I'm traveling, I'm not able to do a few of these things. Uh, but right now, I'm kind of using the opportunity of this travel to actually meet some of my family members, etc. that I had not been able to meet since the lockdown happened. So I guess you make best with whatever is available to you at various points in time. Absolutely. But you have to be careful. Uh, you have to be careful. So, so best wishes, Harsh. With, uh, thank you for joining us today. We really had a, a great session with you. And I will see a big future for your company and, and the growth you're doing. At Franchise India also, we, we feel that there are a lot of people who will be interested in partnering with you at different stages and, and all the different four aspects. We will reach out to your office and, and help them to reach out to your concerned departments and who are interested in doing it. Any last words, Ashita? Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Prahash, for being here and taking out time. I can completely understand uh, that, you know, this time taking out time is something which is really important. Uh, so I'm uh, completely flattered that way. And it's always, uh, you know, a pleasure to talk to you. So thank you so much. And, uh, you know, for our uh, uh, visitors, attendees, uh, there are a few links that you can uh, follow us on. And in case you're interested, you need any more information about Shadowfax, you can write to us directly. And uh, we'll connect you with uh, Shadowfax. Well, thank you so much, uh, Gaurav and Ashita, for having me over. Um, my apologies again for the connection. I spoke to Ashita and I was telling her how I was a bit fearful about how my connection would pan out and so it happened. Uh, no, I was actually keeping my fingers good. crossed. We kept so, it. So, yeah. yeah. So, so for anyone who's listening and anyone who's interested, would be more than happy to have a team members pitch in with any kind of information that would be needed that we might not have been able to cover here. Um, and again, uh, thanks a lot for uh, having me here, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pranay.